Welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. My co-host in the studio today is Doug Wortham. And on today's show, we're going to discuss the upcoming event surrounding the 20th anniversary of Operation Iraqi Freedom. But first, it's time for Generally Speaking, a weekly message from the Adjutant General of the Minnesota National Guard, Major General Sean Mankey. Chaplains play an important role in our armed forces. Whether our service members are Christian, Muslim, Jewish, Buddhist, or one of the hundreds of other faith traditions, our chaplain corps is ready to meet their spiritual needs. Embedded in units across the force, our chaplains advise our commanders and ensure the free exercise rights for all service members are upheld, including those who hold no faith tradition. Chaplain teams spiritually enlighten and rejuvenate us during good times and console and heal us during the bad. They have answered a higher calling to their faith and their fellow service members. Thank you, General Mankey. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. So I said my co-host today is uh, Doug Wortham, former State Command Sergeant Major for the Minnesota National Guard. And Doug, do you remember what you were doing 20 years ago? Let's see, uh, 20 years ago, that would be in about uh, 2003. And um, Good math for a soldier. Yeah, thank you. Um, I generally don't do public math, but um, I, I do remember that I was at the time uh, stationed with the 682nd Engineer Battalion out in Wilmer, Minnesota. And we're going to talk today because it's been 20 years since uh, today is now the, or this month, the anniversary of Operation Iraqi Freedom. And joining us to talk about that is Randall Dietrich, who serves as the Executive Director of the Minnesota Military and Veterans Museum at Camp Ripley. Randall, welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. Nice to be back. Can you uh, just give our listeners a little background? The Minnesota Military and Veterans Museum been around a long time. The museum's been around for more than 40 years. Um, and so we've been gathering up uh, veteran stories all that time and worked with you and others um, back in, what, uh, September of 2021 to commemorate the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and and now chronologically leading us forward to the start of Operation Iraqi Freedom. And, of course, you're up on uh, Camp Ripley, and uh, over all those years you've collected a lot of memorabilia, and you've got more stuff than uh, than you can handle in your current location. So in segment four, we're going to get an update. You're building a new building. Well, Operation Iraqi Freedom is a, a story that we want to tell of Minnesota veterans. We can't do it in our current facility. So, yes, a new facility uh, scheduled open in 2025 with the help of your listening audience. So let's dive in here. Operation Iraqi Freedom. For those that might not be familiar with OIF, can you tell them what uh, what's that? What's that all about? What was it? <laughs> well, that's a big question, Tom, um, and, and one that really, in my estimation, comes in the in the long shadow of of 9/11, September 11th, Operation Iraqi Freedom, uh, following what 18 months after the attack uh, in New York City uh, and in Washington D.C. and elsewhere. So. Uh, and, and what you know, Operation Iraqi Freedom did in some ways was to follow up on keep and keep, make responsible uh, Saddam Hussein and making him responsible for his agreement after the invasion of Kuwait uh, in 2019, following up to make sure that he was disarming. Uh, and so uh, after 9-11, uh, we were faced with some decisions as a country that were complicated. Uh, 9-11 happened. Um, right after that, we were faced with an anthrax scare. Uh, and so the country was really on high alert. And getting Saddam Hussein, who had done any number of, of terrible things over many, many years in the Middle East, uh, and getting him to comply with the agreement after he was ejected from Kuwait in a desert storm uh, was really the cause of Operation Iraqi Freedom. So uh, in 1990, uh, Saddam Hussein invades Kuwait. Um, desert storm is launched to kick him out of Kuwait, which was done. Uh, his 
decision to go into Kuwait in the first place in 1990 was based upon his decision to invade Iran in 1980. Uh, so obviously there's a long tradition of Saddam Hussein uh, behaving in very terrible ways. And uh, especially after 9-11, uh, what he was doing uh, came under greater scrutiny uh, from the United States and the Bush administration. So after some deliberation uh, in March of 2020, March of 2003, um, Operation Iraqi Freedom was launched. And uh, as you mentioned, we had uh, last year, we had a big event to commemorate the 20th anniversary of 9-11 over at the Capitol. A lot of people showed up. That was a fun event. Is there an event now for where we're going to recognize 20 years of Operation Iraqi Freedom? We are working on that. Actually, it's going to be an online opportunity on March 20th, which would be the, the 20th anniversary of the, the Army going into Iraq to uh, defeat Saddam Hussein on the 20th at 7 p.m. on our website uh, via Zoom. Uh, we'll be talking with uh, organizers of uh, the National Memorial being built in Washington, D.C. to honor GWAT veterans. Um, 20th anniversary is a good chance to pause uh, here and understand uh, what's being planned in our nation's capital to honor GWAT veterans from Minnesota and across the country. And we'll also hear from other Minnesota veterans who are more involved in those first few months of the invasion, uh, which includes uh, Colonel Patricia Baker, who will be sharing her story uh, on uh, March 20th. Uh, at 7 o'clock via Zoom. Information is on our website. So you say our website. Is that the museum website? Where can our listeners find this? Yeah, it is on our website. Thank you. Uh, it's minvetmuseum.org, M-N-V-E-T, museum.org. And there's information there about how uh, your listening audience can log on and hear about plans um, from for the National Memorial, uh, including from board member General Joseph Fotel. Very good. We're speaking with Randall Dietrich, who's the executive director of the Minnesota Military and Veterans Museum on Minnesota Military Radio. Doug, you had something to ask him? Yeah, absolutely. You know, as uh, of course, we're talking about OIF and, you know, the the National Guard itself, the involvement in conflicts really wasn't as big um, or didn't have as much of involvement as it did once OIF, OEF started. And I'm just wondering if you might be able to talk about some of those significant contributions that our Minnesota National Guard had as it relates to these deployments after 9-11. I've got a short list, actually, of, of kind of uh, pretty important highlights contributions that Minnesota Guard members you know, made, especially in Operation Iraqi Freedom. Um, and there's a number of examples of of uh, service that's it's quite impressive that i want do want to touch on um, i'll touch on uh, touch on a few of them uh, right now but you know understanding you know that in oif you know about half of the forces that were deployed were guard members and reserve members so already uh, the national guard is well represented in in that response to uh, operation iraqi freedom uh, that long deployment we're going to be hearing about uh, soon here in a few minutes i think is another point of distinction i would argue um that was the surge that was necessary uh, in 2007 um you know, and also at one point in the 34th having uh, responsibility, but for about half of Iraq, more than half the provinces fell under the responsibility of security being provided by the National Guard 34th Infantry Division. Um, and, you know, a couple other things looking at historically, um, one, I think the way that the 34th interacted with the active services is also quite impressive. Uh, the ingenuity that was displayed by members of the 34th to protect their soldiers is something that I think we should touch on this program. Um, all those are examples of uh, highlights, uh, some examples of Minnesota members, 34th Division infantry members uh, serving with distinction over the years. And one thing that we know is really no matter what the mission or the call to duty is, the Minnesota National Guard has historically 
performed extremely well. And that story, this great story to talk about as it represents the Minnesota National Guard, the things they did, how how do you see that expanding into the new facility so you can tell that story in such a great, positive manner so our uh, citizens of Minnesota can read about it, see it, and, and see really what we've been capable of? Yeah, first and foremost, we want to collect as many stories as we possibly can. So hearing from your listening audience what those stories are, we'll hear from some of those stories here in a few minutes. Gathering those stories is job one for our museum currently. Uh, Those stories being collected, curated, um, what that's going to result in is an actual gallery, permanent gallery space in a new facility to open in the summer of 2025 at Camp Ripley. So this is really a great time for our team, our curator, our archivist, uh, others to come together to gather these stories and these artifacts from uh, their service, knowing that when we open this new permanent facility um, just outside the, the walls of Camp Ripley, there will be a permanent gallery dedicated to the men and women who served with distinction. Randall, sounds like lots of stories to tell, and, and of course, uh, for anyone that uh, has taken the time to stop into the Minnesota Military and Veterans Museum, you've got the stuff going back to the Civil War, the 1st Regiment, where the 34th Infantry Division can trace their lineage all the way back. And uh, as we always say when you're here, if you're going up north uh, ice fishing, or if you're going up north for fishing this summer, you get a rainy day, get over there and see that museum and bring your kids and get them in there, teach them a little bit of history about all the men and women in Minnesota that have served our country. Well, when you, when you see the tank along the Highway 371, take the turn, uh, come in in the Sierra Museum. We're open now. Happy to uh, greet visitors uh, all year long. Very good, Randall. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we've, we've got another couple more guests, but we're going to introduce uh, a guest that had a, played a big part in Operation Iraqi Freedom. This is Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons, along with my co-host, Doug Wortham. And we've been talking to Randall Dietrich, who is the executive director of the Minnesota Military and Veterans Museum at Camp Ripley, about Operation Iraqi Freedom. And Randall, uh, you've got a couple of special guests, but we've got, would you like to introduce the, the guests for this segment? Uh, it'd, it'd be an honor. Thank you. Uh, happy to be joined today with uh, a fellow board member, a board member of the museum um, and former adjutant general of the state of Minnesota, uh, General Rick Nash, uh, who's been a good friend and advocate for a lot of the work that we do. So retired Brevet Lieutenant General Rick Nash, who was the Adjutant General when we started the show back in uh, November 1st, 2010. General, welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. Thank you, Tom. It's great to be here again. Good to have you in the studio, sir. And you've got that special hat on. Do you want to tell me what it says? Well, sure. I I send you greetings from Tom Getzinger, our General Manager and on-air personality at KCheck in uh, little old New Prague and all of his veteran listening audience. It's a great program, and he was one of the earlier... Radio stations, I believe, Tom, that signed on to this program so many years back. Yes, sir. He's been a member of the Minnesota Military Radio Network for many years, and I know you used to have some koozies and caps, and you'd yep. take them all over the world and send them pictures back. Tom still likes that stuff, doesn't he? That's right. In fact, he has a uh, every every month he has a program where people all over the world are taking pictures with the koozies or hats or T-shirts or sweatshirts, and they all are entered in a drawing at the end of the month, and he picks somebody out. So it's an ongoing program yet with, with Tom. And, Tom, you should know that when I traveled with General Nash, we always brought those koozies with, and we had to find those special spots to get those picture taken. So, yeah, uh, definitely something he's been doing for a long time. Actually, Tom has a collage of what the Sergeant Major is talking about in his office with all the military people across the world that we've had those pictures taken with. So he, he has great pride in showing that to people. 
Well, I hope he gets you out of the house and into the station once in a while, General. But today we want to talk about Operation Iraqi Freedom. It is my understanding that in 2007, uh, you came back to the 34th Infantry Division to serve as the division's commanding general. And two years later, February 2009, the division deployed for a year-long tour of duty in Iraq in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom. Uh, and you assumed a command of the multinational division south. Uh, general, I think that grew eventually to be about the southern half of Iraq, didn't it? You're right, Tom. Uh one correction, we mobilized on February 10th of uh, 2009, which was the anniversary date of when uh, the division was last mobilized for World War II, February 10th of 1941. So to that date is the date that we mobilized for uh, Iraqi freedom. And, of course, sir, we've had shows where we've covered the division and showed them uh, they had more time in uh, frontline combat in World War II than any other unit and fought through Africa and up through Sicily and so forth. And uh, what a great lineage for the 34th Infantry Division Red Bulls. It is. It's very – Minnesotans are in Iowa, and those associated with the 34th Division are very proud of that heritage. So, sir, uh, you were in command of the multinational division south in Iraq. And as forces moved around through the throughout your deployment, your area of responsibility kept growing, and there was more and more to do. Uh, that, that must have been a, a, an interesting time in Iraq and and a, and a lot of duty, sir. Well, you're you're right, Tom. And and it started out as being just a few of the provinces south of Baghdad when we first went over and did our uh, pre-deployment site survey. And by the time we mobilized and uh, arrived on scene, we had nine of the eighteen provinces, which is half of the country of Iraq under the command and control of the 16,000 soldiers in uh, the 34th Division at that time. And it was a combination of guard and reserve and active duty, was it not, sir? That's correct. In other services, we had Navy individuals there supporting us. We had uh, special forces and we had SEAL teams. We're speaking to uh, retired Brevet Lieutenant General Rick Nash on Minnesota Military Radio. General, one of the things I remember that we talked about early on in the show is when you were in charge of, of that deployment, you had the 34th Infantry Division Red Bull Band over there with you. And I, and I always wondered at the time, why would you bring a band with you when you went over on, and to the war zone? But you explained to me it was a matter of respect. And, and could you explain that again, sir? Sure. They, the division band deployed with us. And, you know, when divisions, as a division deploy, they take their entire headquarters and their command. And we didn't leave anyone back. We took the MPs, the division, and everyone else. And uh, that band then played at ceremonies, events, uh, historical events in Iraq. And we had one soldier in the 34th Division band that learned how to sing the Iraqi National Anthem. And it actually brought soldiers to tears, Iraqi soldiers, to tears when they heard that. And it was a matter of showing respect for your Iraqi partners. And they never heard it sung before. And so, it, and we made CDs of that when we were there and handed those things out. And they just loved to have that, their new Iraqi uh, national anthem being sung by an American. Yep. General, you told me that story, story years ago and it stuck with me. And, and it, it is that respect item and, and a nice way to open up those joint gatherings right. and, and the missions that you're going on. Doug, I'm sure uh, you had some questions for the general about the OIF and that. Well, there's always questions. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I'm interested in is, you know, you, you had a, a very long career. You've served, obviously, at many echelons um, in different leadership positions. 
Um, and then, of course, culminating your career as the adjutant general. But how did your experience in OIF as the, the division commander, that leadership responsibility, how do you compare that to the other big responsibilities you've had throughout your career? Well, I think being the division commander was certainly uh, one I think any soldier aspires to, uh, more so than even being the adjutant general. Uh, when you're deployed uh, with the responsibilities that you have every day, uh, the the lives of uh, those in your charge are more so than, than being back in the United States, in Minnesota, being the adjutant general in charge of the Army and the Air National Guard. And so that, that certainly was the, the pinnacle of my career and one that uh, I, I hold very dear. And so, you know, obviously I was on that deployment with you, and, and we had some tough days. I started off in the division headquarters before moving over into the battalion to be the battalion CSM. And like I mentioned, we had some really tough days uh, throughout that deployment. But there were some good days, too. Is there some fond memory that you have during your time um, as the division commander in, in Iraq? Well, I think the relationships that were built uh that I carry with me still today with the imams that we met and, and how they assisted us in that southern half of the of, uh, uh, of Iraq, carrying our message and what we wanted to do, what we were trying to do. And the business people that we met that I'm still friends with today and the Iraqi soldiers that I still communicate with yet today. And so those are all the pluses, I think, of a deployment uh, like that. I think one thing I'd like to add, Tom, is that uh, we talked about Saddam Hussein, the dictator, and the Ba'ath Party, and you know and the weapons of mass destruction. But uh, when I was deployed to Bosnia, I had a visit by Governor Pawlenty, who visited the troops when we were in Bosnia in uh, right before we redeployed in 2004. And I remember sitting in the office, and he's in there visiting with me, and he gets a phone call back from the United States from the press, and the press called him up and wanted to know what his reaction was that. Saddam Hussein had been captured that day. And so it was coincidental. Here we are in Bosnia, Herzegovina, doing a peacekeeping, peace enforcement mission with the governor visiting us. He gets a call asking what his thoughts were about <laughs> capturing Saddam and finding out then, you know, seven years later or six years later, I'm still in Iraq now and this thing is still going on. So it's uh, it was just coincidental how that happened. Do you remember what the governor said? And can we share it on a family show, sir? I... I you know, I think it, it took him by surprise. He certainly knew that they were searching for Saddam after the overthrow of, of his government, the Ba'ath Party, and the disbandment of the uh, uh, of the military. But I'm sure he had some eloquent words to say about what happened, but I, I'm not sure what that was, Tom. General, we've got about a minute left. Uh, a brief reflection. The last 20 years, there's been deployment after deployment after deployment. How has that affected the, the Minnesota National Guard? And, of course, I think every soldier and airman knows deployments is, is part of the menu from for, for the last 20 years and, and going forward. Well, you're right. And I think going back to the experience with uh, 2003 and four with the deployment to the Balkans and, and Bosnia and then Kosovo was really the first deployment, operational deployment, that the Minnesota National Guard was involved with to include the Air National Guard into operational areas. And so that that uh, was really the start back then in 2003 and four of our deployments, and certainly OIF and, and uh, Afghanistan 
just it just kept rolling and rolling. It was something you couldn't envision that that was going to continue for that many years with the involvement of everyone in the Minnesota National Guard, Army and Air. And it was one of those things where if you weren't deployed at least once or twice, you had to be hiding someplace because everyone seemed to be getting deployed on a continuous rotating basis and to be part of the operational force and not just a strategic reserve. Very good, sir. Uh, will you be able to stick around with us and join us in the fourth segment? Absolutely, Tom. Thank you, General. We're just about out of time. When we come back, Randall, we've got another guest to talk about bookending that whole period of, of war. This is Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. Doug Wortham is my co-host in the studio today. We're talking about Operation Iraqi Freedom. We're going to get back to that in just a moment. But first, it's time for the Commissioner's Corner, a weekly update from the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. Now here's Commissioner Larry Herkey. The Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs is proud to be a strong partner with the Minnesota Association of County Veterans Service Officers. The CVSOs, as we call them, are county employees who help veterans and their families obtain benefits related to their military service. In Minnesota, all 87 counties are represented by a CVSO. Minnesota's CVSOs are among the best in the nation. They are well-trained, professional, and understand how to navigate the complex VA system. CVSOs are the first stop or the point of contact for veterans and serve as their personal advocate. Navigating the claims process is challenging and many veterans often don't know the right questions to ask. That's where CVSOs step in and help veterans access the benefits they may be eligible for. CVSOs do important work. They sit across from men and women who have worn the uniform and served their country. Minnesota is really lucky to have such a strong, passionate group of CVSOs. As a state, we have a history of leading the way when it comes to innovation and forward thinking. Thank you to all of our CVSOs who day in and day out serve the veterans of this great state. Thank you, Commissioner Herkey. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. Uh, we're talking today with Randall Dietrich, who is the executive director of the Minnesota Military and Veterans Museum in Camp Ripley. And it was a lot of fun talking to General Nash in that second segment. And you've got another special guest for this one. We do. Uh, happy to have another special guest with us. You know, General Nash talked about uh, the number of deployments that the 34th had. You know, by the end of Operation Iraqi Freedom, 80% of National Guard members in the 34th had been deployed at least twice, um, which is an incredible, incredible number. And bringing them home safely uh, with Operation New Dawn, uh, with the status of forces agreement, which expires at the end of 2011, uh, falls to one individual. Uh, and happy to have Colonel Eric Kurska with us today. Colonel Kurska, welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Randall. Sir, I'm flashing back to all the conversations we've had about the 1st Armored Brigade Combat Team in 2011 when uh, I had the opportunity and the pleasure to travel to Kuwait and do a show with you right outside the USO tent on one of the bases over there to tell the story of all the men and women that were with you on that deployment. Yeah, it was uh, thinking back today, it's amazing It uh, it's been that long. Yeah, where does the time go, sir? Right. Well, it, it has been a long time, and what I think is interesting is, you know, we, we're talking about OIF in, in the 20 years, but that wasn't your um, your first deployment wasn't in support of, of OIF. As a matter of fact, you and I had uh, something in common. We were both deployed during Desert Storm, and uh, during the 100-hour war, as they like to call it, I was actually sitting in Bahrain. I happened to be selected to go on R&R that weekend. Do you remember where you are during that uh, where you were during that hundred hour war? Yeah, I was Something in a, to do with the tanks. Or? I was in a tank. <laughs> I was in a tank with Third Armored Division. And uh, it, so you were you were moving in uh, and and heavily involved. Yeah, we were in the left hook 
the Seventh Corps left hook from Germany. Sir, I'm reading here, it says, during the famous 100-hour ground war, Lieutenant Kurska back then uh, and his M1A1 Abrams tank crew engaged and destroyed an Iraqi T-72 main battle tank in combat. I'm sure there was a lot more to that story than that, but 100 hours, I can remember that. All, we had all those forces there and General Schwarzkopf and everybody, and off they went, and they made you stop after 100 hours because it uh, wasn't going well for, for uh, Iraq. Yeah, but they never gave up, so the the, the Telecon of the uh, Republican Guard. So I've been through a tornado, I've been through a tank fight, and they're both pretty dramatic. So the... Uh you know, the experience, you you were in Iraq back then, um, and then you go to Iraq again. What uh, what do you see as, as some of the, the changes? How did how did Iraq change for you from one deployment to the next? Well, as Gulf War veterans, um, at least from 7th Corps, we were welcomed by the Shia when we were there in 91. We were, we were, uh, we protected them from the Ba'ath Party, and we were loved. And so when we got, when I went back in 05 and 06 and 07, um, to be those same people trying to kill us, that was a stunning discovery for me. I did not expect that. Um, it was a totally different uh, different experience. We're speaking with retired uh, Colonel Eric Herska on Minnesota Military Radio. And Colonel, uh, in 2011, when you were over there, the war was winding down and and uh, your troops that you were over there with uh, were on convoy duty. You were escorting our troops out of Iraq. And uh, as I recall, millions of miles and, and mostly safe. Yeah, it was very safe. We, you know, they, talk, they call it a Kuwait deployment, but we had 2,800 soldiers, five battalions in Iraq continuously. And we were the last, we were the last mission out of Iraq in 2011. And uh, so proud of what those, what those soldiers accomplished, uh, millions of miles and and uh, we set out to bring everybody home, and we did. And uh, that was that was my proudest moment. And sir, I understand you were personally on the last convoy, on the last Red Bull vehicle out of Iraq, uh, cleaning uh, or clearing the route for the last 30 United States soldiers escorting uh, uh, people to the border. And uh, I know that you and your sergeant major were uh, pretty happy when you crossed the border into Kuwait. Yeah, we cleared our weapons, and I was just ecstatic that we pulled it off, and, and I'd been holding my breath for months, it seemed like. And uh, when we crossed the border and the sun was coming up, and um, my colors were there at the border, the 1st Brigade colors, and I, that wasn't planned. It was just one of my soldiers did that on their own, and and uh, Sergeant Major and I shared a cigar, and, and it felt like a, quite an accomplishment. I'm sure you had a little mini reunion here today because our, our uh, medical, or our, uh, excuse me, our military producer is Sergeant First Class Lindsay Williams, and she was part of your deployment in 2011. Yeah, and she had something to do with having the colors on the border, too, when we came across. And uh, I recall she was out in front with you when you were out on those 5K runs. Yeah, the colors are heavy with all those battle streamers going back to 1861, and uh, she uh, she carries them well. Sir, uh, it doesn't seem like a, it was 12 years ago, 2011 or 2023 already, Uh what can you say about the men and women who served under you during that deployment when you were safely convoying all of our troops out of Iraq? I wish this, I wish I, if I could give the gift, uh, if I could give a gift to the citizens of Minnesota, I'd give them the gift to see what I got to see from uh, our young Minnesota soldiers. Um, when people talk about how dark the future looks for us, um, I just think about those soldiers and what they can do and what they did. What they did. And uh, I have a lot more confidence than most in the next generations. 
And sir, you're now you're now the uh, chief of the Rochester Fire Department, and and still serving our nation and serving the city of Rochester. Do you have an opportunity to stay in in touch with any of your soldiers that you served with on all those deployments? Well, I do. My closest my closest friends are Red Bulls, and uh, from multiple deployments and and multiple years together, and and we stay in close contact, uh, at least monthly, at least monthly minimum. You've had a uh, a long career and. And I asked, you know, a similar question to General Nash before, but a long career, you've had a lot of influence over um, over people, over soldiers that uh, served under you, served with you, served alongside you. But when you look back at your career, are there things that really just kind of stand out and, and just stick with you? I mean, as just great, memorable moments. Yeah, I think the, the biggest, uh, one of the biggest takeaways is, is, is a leader's job is to break down barriers and let your soldiers run because uh, we never would have solved the, the, the roadside bomb, the EFP issue, if, if uh, people didn't run interference with from smart citizen soldiers that figured it out when nobody else can. Millions of dollars in Washington, D.C., they couldn't figure it out, but Minnesota soldiers did. And, and, you know, leadership plays a big role in that, right? You have to allow people to do the things that they need to do. And so... You know, that might be one of the examples we can take from, from OIF and exercise in leadership. Are there other things that you think that uh, we can look back on and learn as we move forward to what might come in the future? It's just the power of teamwork. You know, you got to build a team, build small teams and put them into chunks into larger teams. And I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say, Sergeant Major. That's, that's my takeaway, teamwork and let people's brains, let them figure it out. Colonel, you had a heck of a career, and you're still serving today, as we said. And uh, What would you say to the young people listening to us today if they were thinking about uh, a career in the Minnesota Army National Guard? Well, I spent uh, seven years in the regular Army and 20-some in the Minnesota Guard, and I, I, my hint to you would be join the Minnesota Guard, and there's not a finer organization on the face of the earth. And you have a military family and, and friends from all of those years that you spent there, and, and it's just a big extension, isn't it? It is, and it just keeps going on and on and on. And the smile on your face tells the whole story. I wish our listeners could see it, sir. Colonel, I'd like to thank you for taking time to come to Minneapolis and join us in the studio today. It's good to see you again. Good to see you, Tom. Thank you. Randall, uh, when we come back, I want to see if we can get an update on the uh, new facility for the Minnesota Military and Veterans Museum. We're just about out of time for this uh, segment. This is Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons, along with Doug Wortham, my co-host in the studio today. And we've had a great time looking back at uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom with at the General Nash and Colonel Kerska and Randall, uh, great of you to, to organize uh, this uh, little reunion here for us. Happy to do it. The, the stories you heard, uh, tip of the iceberg. There's so much more that these gentlemen have to share. And the idea is that in this new facility that we're planning to open, a uh, new Minnesota Military and Veterans Museum at Camp Ripley, you'll see these stories in much greater detail than you were able to, to hear this morning. Okay, and for our listeners, the Minnesota Military Museum is on base on Camp Ripley, uh, it's outgrown its quarters. It's got uh, you've got buildings full of memorabilia and all kinds of things you can't even get out. And so there's been a big push the last few years. You got donated some land. I'm going to ask you to give us some details on this. And you're planning on on building a new museum 
right at the worst time when costs have gone through the roof and we had a pandemic and all kinds of things were trying to slow you down. How are we doing? It, it's been a challenge, but we're persevering. Uh, the board of directors has been very active in, in pushing this plan forward. Uh, we did acquire 32 acres of land uh, just outside the walls of Camp Ripley along Highway 371. Uh, so in this new 40,000-square-foot facility on 30 acres adjacent to Highway 371, that very busy corridor, especially in the summertime, the Twin Cities to the Brainerd Lakes area, you're going to pass by this new facility that we hope to open in the summer of 2025 and, and can't do it without the help of many, many people, uh, including state legislators, uh, including your listening audience. We need members for our museum to be, have an ongoing way of communicating with your audience. Uh, membership is a, is a key way they can participate. And if they want to become a member and, and help with the construction of that, do they go to, where do they go to your website? They do go to our website. They go to mnvetmuseum.org. Uh, also, there is the chance to see uh, the other programs we talked about this morning. Uh, for instance, on March 20th, uh, online, we'll be hosting that uh, discussion uh, about the GWAP Memorial uh, opening up in Washington, D.C. I hear from the organizers of, of that and, and hear from Patricia Baker and others about their OIF experience. And then also just want to drop a quick note in. Uh, we're working with another organization, Reuniting After War. Uh, we're going to be hosting uh, a Medal of Honoris recipient Clint Romache on April 22nd here in the Twin Cities, uh, Kamdesh, Afghanistan, 2009. Clint Romache serving alongside three Minnesotans received the Medal of Honor. He'll be here on April 22nd. Sounds like our listeners better put your website on, on something they can get to it quick and just keep tracking to see what's going on. There's more and more every day. Well, I, I for one, am extremely excited about uh, the, the museum, the new location opening. Um, having visited the current site many times and not being able to see a lot of uh, the items that I know you'd like to have on display. So this has been talked about for a long time, though, about trying to get to a new location. Um, when did things really start coming together so that you got the land and now you've got the design, the plans, and, and it's just you know kind of wrapping everything up and putting a bow on it? Yeah, it really did kick off uh, 2019, 2020. Uh, we had a local landowner, a veteran, donate those 32 acres. That's a game changer right there. Uh, that gave us the impetus to approach the state legislature with some additional funding. Uh, we're going back and securing, seeking some additional bonding support this year for reference for your listening audience. Uh, there's a House File 920 and a Senate File 769, which is a bonding request to complete this museum so we can open the doors to your audience in the summer of 2025. And do you believe then with this size, the 40,000 square foot facility, 32 acres, is that big enough? It's big enough. Uh, yes, uh, you're absolutely right. It's the question that museum people always ask themselves, is it big enough? Um, and, and we have contingencies in place to address future needs because we are looking forward. Uh, we try to be a forward thinking museum. General Nash, I know after you retired as adjutant general, uh, you're, we lost your friend, uh, General Vesey. And you were involved in, in going through some of his memorabilia. And next thing I know, you're on the board of the Minnesota Military and Veterans Museum. Is this one of your missions now that you've retired? Well, actually, I was appointed to be, the, I guess, the uh, vice president of the Vesey Collection. And uh, to go back to Sergeant Major's uh, question of Randall, uh, the museum discussion about a new museum has been in the works for a long, long time. I go back probably nearly two decades being on a board at the military museum. So uh, it's been a passion of the board members and what we wanted to do. But finally, it, it's come to uh, a juncture where we were unable to continue to grow where we were because of the airfield and the approach and FAA regulations. So we had to search for an alternate location if we wanted to grow. And so in the past, it was just 
a hill too high to climb to get a new museum. But with Randall coming on with the executive director's position, uh, new board members uh, after OIF and OEF uh, and our conflicts and the stories to tell, uh, it became paramount that we find something new to tell those stories and to house the artifacts and the documents, the oral history, and continue to have a place for veterans. And that name was changed here in the last couple of years. It used to be the Minnesota Military Museum, and we changed that to the Veterans Museum. And it used to be somewhat Army-centric, Army National Guard-centric. And that's changed in the last three to four years where it's for all services and all branches in the uh, Minnesota uh, uh, military community. Very good, sir. Randall, we've got about a minute left. What do you need to get into the ground and get done and get finished? How long is this going to take? Number one, we need the state legislature to support our bonding request. Okay. Um, that's that's key. So any any encouragement your audience can provide, again, uh, that's the, the big thing we're looking at. Uh, that's House File 920. And Senate File 769, uh, we're at the state legislature every single day this week, and we'll be through the end of session. Uh, this is a good opportunity, uh, given the, the forecast for the state of Minnesota and having a surplus at the moment. This is the time to invest in a building designed from the ground up, dedicated to veterans dating back to the Civil War. Uh, everything has come together. The plans are complete, and it's time to break ground. We'll do that with the support of the legislature. One final question your website one more time. mnvetmuseum.org. So if you want to help, get a hold of your state elected officials and talk about the funding for the Minnesota Military and Veterans Museum. And while you're on the website, make a donation and help get this done. And if you want to volunteer, send a note to Randall. He's looking for people. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. That was Randall Dietrich, the executive director of the Minnesota Military and Veterans Museum, retired Brevet Lieutenant General Rick Nash, and retired Colonel Eric Kurska. Joining me now is Marty Howes, who's the president of the Minnesota Association of County Veterans Service Officers and the Roseau County Veterans Service Officer. Marty, welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing today? We're doing great. And uh, Marty, uh, most of the show today, we've been talking about the 20th anniversary of Operation Iraqi Freedom. I uh, can't believe uh, 20 years have passed, but one of the things you wanted to talk about today was there's a kind of a window that's open for those who served during OIF uh, that was otherwise closed. Can you explain that? Yeah, yeah. Well, what the VA has done is they've got a they've got a short window for enrollment into the VA, and it's an opportunity for these vets to get in there, get the care that they need so that we can uh, uh, identify and, uh, and, you know, you know, improve the quality of life for these guys, and it and it works well for uh, ensuring that they're getting the care that they need, and and especially those that might be, you know, if they're suffering from any like mental health issues, and you know, you know, of course that focus that we have on suicide prevention, you know, we're gonna improve that quality of life. And if you're a combat veteran um, that served uh, from. September 11th of 2001 to October 1st of 2013, you have from now until October of this year, um, there's no, you you just come see your county veteran service officer. We're going to fill out that paperwork. We're going to send in your DD-214 and you're going to get on down there to the VA and they're going to, they're going to take you in there and, and, you know, get you in and get you the care that you need. And a lot of times that care isn't going to cost you anything at all. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. So this is a special one-time enrollment period from October 22 to October 23. Do you see any challenges with this as far as getting our veterans to sign up and enroll? 
Yeah, I, I yeah I do see a little bit of a challenge here. You know, it's the you know our veterans now. You know, they they might not be getting treated uh, you know like our Vietnam veterans did is is bad. You know, but uh, you know here we are still. You know, after twenty years of being out of service, our government is finally you know tasking the VA to provide treatment and and grant presumptives for damages done to our to our soldiers after service i mean 20 years later i mean and don't get me wrong it isn't it isn't that we haven't come a long way we have but uh when we're taking care of our veterans uh that have served before us and those most recent we we need to really focus on that and take a look forward and 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 how we can ensure to you know not wait 20 years and and getting getting these guys to say well i've been out this long you know why should i go now well you need to go now, and we need to have that talk, and we need everybody to get on board and to say, you know, get in there, and uh, it'll change your life. You so know? for our OIF and OEF veterans, Operation Iraqi Freedom and Enduring Freedom, if you serve during that time, there's a special enrollment period open through October of 2023. 20 years, sure, Marty, but it wasn't 50 years like some of us had to wait. Get to see, get out and see your county veteran service officers. Marty, thanks for joining us again today. Thank you, Tom. It was a pleasure. This is Marty Howes, the president of the Minnesota Association of County Veteran Service Officers and the Roseau County Veteran Service Officer on Minnesota Military Radio. We're just about out of time. Thanks for listening to this edition of Minnesota Military Radio. I'd like to thank our guests for joining us this week. Randall Dietrich from the Minnesota Military and Veterans Museum, retired Brevet Lieutenant General Rick Nash, retired Colonel Eric Kurska, Marty Howes from the Minnesota Association of County Veteran Service Officers, my co-host Doug Wortham, Commissioner Larry Herkey of the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, and finally Minnesota's Adjutant General, Major General Sean Mankey. Please join us next week as we talk about care for our veterans at the Minneapolis VA and the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. That's coming up next weekend on this station or online anytime at minnesotamilitaryradio.com. I'm Tom Lyons, and I hope that you make a difference in someone's life this week. Minnesota Military Radio is a production of iHeartMedia, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, the Minneapolis VA, Beyond the Yellow Ribbon, and the Minnesota National Guard. Your host is Tom Lyons, founder and owner of Phelan Partners Limited, a merger and acquisition advisory firm. Tom is a life member of the American Legion, VFW, Vietnam Veterans of America, and the DAV. For podcasts and the latest updates, follow us at Minnesota Military. MilitaryRadio.com.